I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Yannick Benjamin on the show today. He is a retail specialist over at Ledoux's Wine in the West Village. Hello, sir. Hello. Thank you for having me. Great of you to be here. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, originally you kind of was working as a sommelier for many years. Right. Um, the last place that I worked at uh, before um, Ledoux's Wines, uh, I was at the Ritz-Carlton, um, at the restaurant called um, Atelier. Oh, sure. With Gabriel uh, Kruter. Exactly. That? And That's then um, then I headed over there. So, But prior to that, I was in the restaurant industry for quite a while. And how did that all get started? Your family was? Correct. Uh, so um, my father, um, who came to this country from Brittany in 1963, um, his very first job was actually as a busboy at the restaurant La Grenouille. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so... Uh, uh, Which my, is still there today. It's yeah. still there today, that's correct. Uh, my other uncle was the maitre d' um, at La Grenouille for about 25 uh, years. Wow. And then my other uncle was also a captain at Lutes for over 30 years. So, uh, and then I have a, a cousin right now who's a chef at uh, Le Perigord. So, so at the time when there weren't that many uh, fine dining restaurants in New York right. compared to now. Yes. And it was heavily French dominated in terms of what was fashionable for high, fine dining. You were pretty, the family's pretty connected with uh, at the on. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, um, uh Definitely, I'm. I wasn't. I got in the industry because of my family. And then, um, what was interesting about the uh, the French uh, dining scene, especially in the '60s and '70s and um, early '80s, the majority of the people that worked in these restaurants, captains, waiters, were all. A lot of them were from Brittany, um, from this little town called Gouin. So it was always, it was very interesting too. So yeah, definitely um, quite a bit of connections, and everybody sort of knew each other. There, there was some when I worked at Daniel. There were some guys from Brittany too, uh, some right, old timers. Uh, um, Bernard, I think, mm -hmm, exactly, and then, and then Yannick Vrod. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and like they always had a, a little bit more chill style <laughs> to them. I don't know if it was just those guys or uh, maybe. I mean, I mean, definitely there is a reputation about Bretons for being sort of um, hard headed, but yet um, very hardworking people. I think is that true? I didn't know that. I, I mean, I think so. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, I worked with. A couple of them at Le Cirque at you know, and um, and just based on reputation for sure, yeah. So, and then you got involved in the restaurant business. How did that all come about? Um, 
I knew that from a very young age that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, I remember Sunday evenings, we had my family over. I mean, my uncles, uh, we'd always have dinners. You know, we drank wine. Uh, my mom cooked, uh, you know, good French homemade meal. And you'd hear some of the stories that they talk about, and it just seemed very glamorous and just seemed like a really great lifestyle, you know, from the outside yeah. looking in. 100%. And yeah. No, because I remember going to La Capoule in Paris. Yeah. Oh. And, and my waiter was wearing a tux, and I thought he was James Bond. <laughs> I mean, he looked like the most suave guy. And I totally know what you mean. Yeah, no, no. It was, you know, and um, it seemed like, you know, of course, you know, um, they were making a very good living. And I yeah. was like, I mean, my idea was like, I wanted to be really a Metro D, you know, I mean, in the 80s and, uh, the Metro D was the he was the it guy. I mean, that was the guy at That's the right. restaurant. I mean, things before the rise of chef owners. Exactly, yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, my uncle who was a Metro d'Hôtel at um, La Grenouille, he was the man. I mean, it was just like yeah. so. I sort of really wanted to be in front of the house and all that. That's that was my whole idea. And you know, I went to high school, and then I my my real first restaurant job was at a uh, Bryant Park Grill. Oh, okay. Yeah, on uh, 40th, and um, pretty much did the opening there, and um, you know, mostly back of the house stuff. Worked as a steward, uh, you know, stocking up the shelves, uh, beer cases, um, doing some bar back work, a lot of the grunt work and all that. But I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And uh, is that like the Lutes connection? Is that how? Yeah, that exactly. Came through? Right. Yeah, and that's how it happened actually. So um, at that time, when I got the job at Brian Park, um, our corporation had just bought. Um, Around that time, um, Lutes, um, and then my dad talked to Michael Weinstein and Vinnie Pascal, Michael Weinstein being the CEO of, uh, of our corporation, said, hey, you know, are you looking for anybody? I have a son, and they, they hired me, you know, pretty much based on connection, you know, and I uh, started working there and um, stayed there for a little while. Um, soon after that, I, I started college for a little while. I went to Baruch. Okay. And uh, got myself into some trouble. <laughs> and then my dad said, well, I don't think this college thing's working out too well for you. Uh, pro it seems like you, you were much better just working. And at that time, um, Le Cirque was, was going to open up. And my dad was working at Lutes. He was working as a captain. And uh, Sirio Mancioni um, came in to eat at Lutes. And Sirio was quite good friends with um, Andre Sultner. So they were there. And my dad went up to Sirio and he said... Um, Hey, would you happen to have a job um, for my son? That was know. nice of your yeah. dad to like he, look out for you. Oh, man. totally. I mean, yeah, my dad's, you know, he's the greatest. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate. And um, I mean, of course, he would have preferred for me not to have gone into the restaurant industry at the time, but he knew that's what I wanted to do. And he also knew that's what made me happy. So he said, well, if you're going to work, you should work for like the best. And um, he had a deep admiration for Sirio Mancioni and, um, Siri was kind enough to, uh, you know, give me a chance to interview with them for that matter. So that was great. I think one thing I've seen is that all the old school French guys have a huge admiration for Serial. I've never come across a guy that was old school French guy uh, in New York that had anything that wasn't you really know, good to say about him. You know, Serial um, is just an amazing man. Um, he really is. And I know there have been articles written and people have their different opinions, but, you know, the guy is tremendous. And when you meet his sons... They're the nicest guys. The wife is beautiful. You know, just really the nicest people. And, and the sons are, are a clear reflection of who Serio is, you know. Um, and they're an amazing family. I, I couldn't be more proud to wor have worked for them. And how did that go when you were there? Well, you know, I mean, basically, uh, when I went in for the interview with Serio, it was pretty fast, you know. Um, he introduced himself to me and he said, do you know who I am? And I said, yes, you know, I've heard of you and all that. And he said, listen, there's a job for you at the bar lounge, um, and I'm going to hire you. Um, 
I would have preferred, and he told me, he said, I would have preferred for you not to work in the industry because I didn't want my sons to work in the restaurant industry as well. But my father said, you, your father insisted. And so I'm going to hire you just like I've given my sons a chance. So that was, you know. Wow, that's an amazing way to kind of yeah, take you into the family really, that way. Really, yeah. And um, so I started working in um, the bar lounge at Le Cirque, this, you know, the opening, which was really amazing at that time. It was just. And this was Le Cirque 2000? Or? Le Cirque 2000, correct. I'm sorry. At the Palace at Hotel. At the Palace. And so for me, it was just like, you know, I was, what, maybe 18 yeah. when I started working there. It's a beautiful bar space. Oh, it was Awesome like the carved space. wood and oh, marble and stuff. It's yeah, it was uh, yeah, just an unbelievable place and the type of people that were coming in. I was just wow. I just it was really overwhelming. I was totally shocked. And then it was there that I knew who Cyril really was and what he meant. And you could just see the, see the, the respect that he people in the room. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Who was there at that time? Who was coming through? I mean, you know, you had all the big socialites. You know, I mean, Bill Cosby would be there, and of course, you had you know your typical. He's social- cool. I like that dude. Very funny very, in real life and stuff. Very, very nice guy. Uh, you know, I mean, just everybody that you can think of, politicians, you know, at the time, uh, Rudy Giuliani was totally a, a, a total Big regular. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was just everyone you can think a, of. A power room. It, it was definitely a power room. Yeah. Um, very intimidating, at least for me at that time. And then it was there. I said, wow. I'm, I Did you really... ever ask Rudy if he could help you with some parking tickets? Yeah, no, yeah. Like like, come on, we got a relationship now. I've served you a Jack and Coke a few times. Yeah, no, God knows he, yeah, he was taken care of quite well over there. That's for sure, you know, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, so basically, um, Siri would actually eat quite a bit at the lounge. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, you know, during lunch, that's what he had his own table and I, you know, I would take care of him and all that. And then, um, finally, uh, I think maybe like four months into, um, the restaurant opening, he grabs me by the elbow as I'm passing by. And he said, I know you've been working here pretty much every day, lunch and dinner. He says, um, you're going to be working in the dining room. Wow. That was nice. And I said, wow. And that was it. And I started working in the dining room and, you know, I, 18, 19, I was making it was a lot of I, money. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. R- ridiculous. You know, I mean, and I lived in Midtown. I was still living with my mom and dad, and I was totally living like an entourage lifestyle. Yeah. You know, it was just I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. So yeah, it was I remember making more money than my dad had ever made in the in the late nineties. <laughs> yes. Like rolling with seven, eight hundred dollars a night oh, going yeah. home. Yeah. And like my parents had never made that kind right. of money. Right, no, no. And, well, like Totally blowing it on champagne and stuff. Like, oh, no, you know it was, yeah, no. I mean, it was during a dot-com era. It was yeah. just, you know, it was just unbelievable the amount of money people were spending and couldn't believe it. It was just, uh, but it was a great experience for sure overall. I loved it. And what do you think, uh, like, stylistically, how how are things going down at that time? It was pretty formal or? You know, we had gotten four stars from the New York Times and Ruth Reichel, um had given it to us. But... It was a very demanding place. There was tons of pressure. Uh, we had a, a VIP station um, there, Station 4, which, you know, Ron Perlman on one table, again, you know, someone famous, whoever it was, and just the amount of heat that you would feel. They would all come in at once. Everybody had special dishes that they wanted that were never on them. I mean, it's just, it was really very difficult. And, you know, of course, Having to do four star service, and sometimes we were doing four hundred covers. Yeah. Just, it was just insane, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, the turnover to be at that level was just enormous. I mean, you were, I mean, I remember feeling exhausted every night, you know. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you could say it was formal, but at one part, in one aspect, it was very, very fast paced. It definitely was not your typical three Michelin star restaurant in Paris. I feel like that's a very unique 
to New York style of dining, like the super power room, the super fast, like bang, bang service. Yes. But at the same time with the, all the flourishes. Yes. Yeah. And service with the smile, no matter what's happening. Yeah. 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 But you know, Danielle, all these restaurants, it kind of, you know, it's a, it really is exactly what you just said for sure. Well, I think Danielle kind of took that model in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know no, I mean? for yeah. I mean, that's where he made his bed with Le Cirque, you know. What I mean, it's, you know, when he got that four he gave I mean, when he was with Zero, that's where they got that four star review and that's where Hulk Who's the came. chef when you were there? Uh Soto Kun. Oh, okay. So it was yeah. Daniel's original Seuss. Yeah, right, right. He was there. I mean, and he was another he was really a great guy. I mean, he very humble man, um, super kind with me. Um, I mean, you know, I know that when I started working in the dining room, there were sir, some older guys. Who had worked really hard to get a position as a captain Probably as a waiter. They weren't so happy about They weren't so happy you. about me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, but he actually saw that and he um was sort of kind of, I would have to say definitely um almost uh kind of protected me, even though he's a short this short little guy, but really yeah, I, he's physically small. Yeah, he's stature. physically, yeah, yeah. But uh super, super There's uh, that lovely. picture of him and Ivanka Trump next to each other. Oh, I've never seen <laughs> and it. And she like towers over him by like three feet, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I worked great. at dinner with him one time. He's super nice. Yeah, yeah, no, he's great. Uh, so when did you start getting into the wine side of things? Well, while I was at Le Cirque, there was a wine director there. His name was Ralph Hersom. Okay. And this whole notion of um, sommeliers was just coming. I mean, my dad never worked with a sommelier. It was non-existent. Is that true? And, yeah, and, and he worked at Maxime's 21 Club, uh, La Côte Basque. I mean, the idea of a sommelier did not exist, you know, pretty much either the Metro D would just buy whatever was out there or you would have the distributor and they would sort of set up the wine list for you. Nice of them to do that. Yeah, very, yeah, yeah. I wonder why, right? <laughs> it's true. Providing a real service. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, so uh, Le Cirque had hired Ralph Hersom, who he worked at um, Windows in the World under Kevin Zarelli. Oh, okay. And... Um, um, so there was this whole idea of like, you know, Le Cirque wanted to get into this kind of, it was just starting this trend of having a wine director. So uh, he was very young. He was probably about 26, 27 at the time. Did you guys kind of bond on being yeah. younger guys? Right. Yeah. And he was super nice with me. He loved sports. I love sports. And he was American. I grew up here, even though my parents are French. So we definitely had that bond. Everybody else. Because you're did. a pretty fit guy. Like I try to be fit. <laughs> I, I, my whole neck is like not even <laughs> nah, come on. Nah, Your forearms are, you know, <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, for I those who can't see in the <laughs> studio audience, you know. <laughs> Please, no, no I, you're pretty fit yourself. You look yeah. good. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Barely got up the stairs today. Yeah. You... <laughs> so, so you're there with yeah, him. Yeah, so and... And then I, I, you know, I would, I, I was, I was very curious um, about what he was doing. I'd ask yeah. him a lot of questions. And then finally he was like, well, you ever thought about taking any wine classes? And so I said, you know, I never thought, I looked, never thought about it. And I looked into the International Wine Center and I started taking wine classes there. And, uh, had Mary Ewing Mulligan as a as a teacher. Oh, and, okay, she's super and nice. And Linda Laurie. Um, I don't know who that is. Yeah, really great teacher. Gosh, she's wonderful. And then, um, so it kind of all started from there. And I said, I think this is a side that I really want to go to. I just really enjoy the aspect of, you know, obviously tasting wine, but everything that came behind it. And I was like, this seems like a, a pretty nice, uh, uh, cushy job being a sommelier. Yeah, it's not so bad. That, yeah. That's what it seemed like at the time. Of course, yeah. there, there's more to it. But yeah, that's what it, that's how it all really started for me. And one of the things I noticed about you is when you take something on, you seem to take it on with gusto. Like, you I go mean, for it. I definitely try to do my best, for sure. Yeah. I think I'm, if you're going to do it, you might as well go all the way and, you know, give 100%. And um, my father always said, you know, finish what you started. So if I start something, try to finish it, you know, for sure. 
And uh, so, yeah, that's, it was really great, you know. Um, and, of course, I was under 21 when I took the International Wine Center classes. Baller. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you should get that on the, uh, I should get on that. the card. <laughs> I should get that for we sure. We used to go to this bar near where I worked, and the guys would sneak me in that I worked with. Uh-huh. They had this whole beers around the world passport thing because they <laughs> served like 300 beers. Oh, really? Yeah, if you drank a beer from every uh, country, they gave you a mug with your name on it. Oh my! And and my like they engraved the mug, and my big goal at tw- like nineteen no. or twenty was to get a mug before I turned twenty one. That was like awesome. My, that was my aspiration, like in life. And, Did you get it? Uh, no, ah. I'm not like you. I don't like follow through with stuff. You know what I mean? I doubt it. Come on, but uh, right I did. Yourself. I did. You know, I got halfway around the world. Ah, halfway, all right. That's not bad at all. But so, so uh, and then what happened after the Le Cirque days? Well, pretty much, you know. Uh, when I was at Le Cirque, I had I was already there for almost uh, well over two years, and I said, "Well, I'm sort of complacent," and I didn't think that was a good thing for me to be complacent at that young of an age. And uh, one of the captains uh, who was working there, uh, Doug uh, Bertinall, who's a sales rep now for Michael Skernick um, in upstate New York, okay, one of the most talented people I ever worked with, super smart. Um, he went off to be the wine director slash. Uh, assistant GM at um, Oceana. Oh, sure. Back when uh, I was in the townhouse. Exactly. So um, This is like the Rick Moonen era? Yeah, this is totally at the Rick Moonen. Yep, exactly. And um, the general manager was Paul McLaughlin there. Great guy, too. And they said, you know, if you're looking to make a move or you want to learn another style or something, you should think about coming here. And I was already, you know, I said, that's a good idea. And I, I went over there for a little while. Because it was pretty formal back then. I remember going. Gosh, Oceana was, I mean, it was super rigid. When I worked there, it was, I mean, it was way more strict that um, there than it was at uh, Le Cirque. Is that true? Oh my gosh, it was very rigid. It was a definitely a tough place because the GM, um, Paul, he was from the old school of Le Bernadin. Oh, okay. So the same principles were applied because they were Ocean. both big on, on fish. Both yeah, yeah exactly. Were... Totally big on the fish, and I mean, I mean, basically, if you had eaten at the old. Um, I mean, at Le Bernardin, and you ate at the old Oceana, same style, same everything. I don't know what the new Oceana is like, you know. I mean, I know they're doing pretty well too, but gosh, it was it was super rigid. It was a tough, I mean, tough place. I mean, I loved. Every, I learned a lot actually. I learned a lot there too. And it was a good list. I mean, I mean, when I was, yeah, it was it a was solid. Good, yeah, it was you know, definitely it was a lot there. Yeah, uh, very good list. Uh, and um, you know, they they let me play with the seller. They let me, you know, I, definitely. I was able to be more vocal, deal with more customers, um, hands-on. So that was doing really, more actual wine stuff, right? Uh, so that was really helpful. And um, Paul was really great, and I, I kind of looked up to him. And then Doug too, who was the um, wine director there, I definitely was great for my development. And then I went over to John George too. After that, okay, yeah, you wanted to get back into like the four-star game. You know, it sort of uh, happened by accident that I went to John George. Um, I happened to run into uh, a manager there. Um, at some party. Um, his name was Denis Bouron. Okay. Um, young French guy. And he was, you know, telling me about John George. And I said, well, you know. And at that time, I was just more about, um, I wanted to work at different places, just kind of like almost like learn a little bit and pick up. And then I was just like kinda, that too. Yeah. So I was quite, quite hungry. And I said, yeah, you know, John George would be great. And my whole thing was, I also did not want to work doubles. So like at Le Cirque, I mean, it was pretty much six days a week, lunch and dinner. It was a very demanding schedule. And then I thought I was going to work less at Oceana, but again, it was, I was pretty much working five days a week doubles, you know? So um, my whole idea was, you know, if I, I work at John George, 
please give me some time off so I can study a little bit my my wine right. stuff right, and right, right, take right. other wine classes and all that. Because you've you've always been big on on courses and study. I, I, yeah, I've always been big on studying. Yeah, and um, courses and all that. And God knows I've taken everyone everything here in New York so far. Um, so I started doing that at John George for a little while. Is that uh, because they had like a different day and night crew, like the waiters? Or well, different? they had because they were in the hotel. They had um. They had a breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So they really initially basically would have a breakfast and lunch staff, Got it. Um, a dinner staff, and then they had the nougatine, and then they had the actual John George restaurant. So they pretty much, almost like you had two different restaurants, mm-hmm. you know, functioning. So you, it was quite a bit of staff there. But again, it was the same thing. I got caught up there too. And sometimes I was really, on, it was insane. I was working triple sometimes, working breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And um, I think at this point, I had kind of gotten really burnt out. Because the last, you know, I mean, we're talking about a total of five years, just working, 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 working. So I got- I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And I sort of got jaded. And I was- Yeah. You're like, oh, a cam again. Oh, my cam is, you know, Marcuson again. Yeah. You start just thinking it's like every day. You're like, oh, Lafitte. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, you just feel like, you know, you feel like uh, Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. Yes. And you're just like, gosh, you know, and, you know, just like- uh, you know how sometimes you were treated if there was a stupid little mistake and it was a little mistake, but it was made into a big deal. And, you know, yeah. and it's just sort of someone who just pokes at you after a while and you're uh-huh. just, what am I really doing? You know, like what's going on? You know, and meanwhile, some of your friends are finishing college and they're starting to get good jobs and they have a nine to five and you're like, geez, you know, this is yeah. sort of an unorthodox lifestyle that I, I'm living right now. I got to tell you, uh, one of the hardest things for ever, ever for me was being a waiter and having dropped out of college and then having to wait on people who are celebrating their graduation with really? their parents. Yeah, that same year that I was would yeah. have graduated, that was so tough for me. Like, hmm. I, you know, it was That's just, interesting. You know, you think like, hey, everything's going great. And then you look at all the other people and you're like, wow, this is, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. tough. Yeah. Hey, let me help you out. Yeah. Champagne for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. And I, 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 it's funny you mentioned that because there were moments like that when I was in the restaurant. I was just like, hmm, am I... Long term, what's the effect of all this, you know? Yeah. So I did think about a lot of that often, you know? And uh, so you did take a lot of courses. Yes. What, what did you take from that? I mean, what was valuable and what would you recommend to somebody who wanted to do that today? I think what's great about courses is that, um, I mean, I think you can certainly study on your own wine, you know, get a couple of books, you know, now with online, you have... um that guildsom.com um, from the quartermaster sommeliers. Seems like it, a pretty vibrant community. It's a very vibrant community, absolutely. And uh, you can do that. But I think also, I think what happens is if you take a course, you're sort of forced to study because I think in mm-hmm. general, they'll give you a quiz the following week on whatever you studied. So it gives you structure, which is really key, I think. Um, and I even though I think, I think of myself as pretty disciplined, but having that structure was really key and it... it it forced me to study things that I probably wouldn't have done if I was doing it on my own. Um, so I think that was great. That's great about the classes. And the you've been in a tasting group for a long time, I think. Uh, yeah, for, it seems like forever now. It's been, a, yeah, like uh, I would say probably about eight years now with, um, eight years yeah, <laughs> with uh, Michelle Couvreau from Per Se, uh, Risto from I, I Fiori, uh, John Reagan, of course, Laura Mann. I mean, who are those people? Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
But you used to do like blind tastings at the Ladoos too. Yeah, I used to do that. I originally started there at, at uh, some of the blind, you know, because everybody used to bring a bottle, kind of. Yeah, thing. everyone would bring a bottle, and then it just got too big, and then some people wouldn't show up, you know, because you know they're finishing late at night. It's tough. So you're talking about James Hamilton. <laughs> I am talking about James Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was the worst because <laughs> some dudes are finishing up late at night, and they also super happen to be super popular with women. And uh, yeah, 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 he was definitely a stud for sure. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. I used to yeah. work yeah. with that guy. He used to just turn him down like really all the time. I'm not, uh, I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah, what, have you heard from him anyway? He's a doctor now. He's a big shot. You know, he's. He's Jeez. like, you know, doing triple bypass surgeries and stuff. Huh? I don't know what's doing. No, he was yeah, he was uh he was actually he was one of my favorite sommeliers. I mean, yeah, I, me when too. he worked when he worked service, it was just I loved working with him. Oh yeah. I, yeah, no, I remember, yeah. He's just like he was pristine, you know. But I'll, I'll tell you uh, something I'm actually really embarrassed about, but <laughs> I I worked with him at when the opening team at Convivio. Yeah. Frank Bruni came in, who was a oh, reviewer for oh the my Times gosh. at the time. Okay. And uh, obviously James is a super good looking guy and I, I'm sure everyone knows at this point that Frank Bruni is is uh, homosexual and they uh, took me off the table. Well, I was the sommelier, the right. sommelier. and they're like, I, Cannon came over and he's like, we're going to, we're going to switch you out and have James do it. He was kind of helping out stuff right. more yeah, like yeah. with the, the non VIP tables because it was an opening, you know? Right, I mean? right, right. And they're like, we're, we're going to have James go in. And so James took care of. Frank Bruni when he came in first. Hey, you gotta have a strategy. Things and yeah. I, it really just came down to he's much better looking than me. It's really all it really was. And uh, <laughs> still kind of hurts to this day nah. to really like to admit that, but it's true. That's all right. Hey, uh, what was I gonna say? So you uh, you're working at the John George there. Yeah. At some point, uh, you went over to Atlas Restaurant. Atlas. At, yeah. With Paula Bryant, like back yeah. in the day. Yeah, I, I started there probably uh, probably excuse me uh, a month after they had just gotten gotten that review from Frank, uh, no, not Frank Bruni, Bill Grimes, I beg your pardon. It was like a huge review. It was like three stars. Yeah, it was a three-star right? review. Like a, and Very he, positive. Yeah, very positive. I mean, he, like, Bob Grimes loved Paul Liebrandt. And, um, Which is surprising to me because it was like uh, Coca-Cola flavored foie gras with a blindfold and uh, like smoke was coming off of it and stuff. I the, wouldn't think Grimes would go was, for that. <laughs> it was the most, it was the weirdest menu. I mean, like, listen, Paul Liebrandt's doing his own thing and I have tons of respect for the man but it was definitely a very unusual menu and my main reason for going to work there was that I, it was a laid-back atmosphere and they were only open for dinners and i said this is it this is where i need to be at this is great atlas restaurant and it was it was great actually you know um i worked with a really good uh, general manager there his name was peter body and the owner um james danos was super uh kind um very accommodating very open-minded with me taking wine classes and studying and all that um so i really enjoyed it but yeah definitely uh i remember um i was doing it i was trailing there or training i should say for like uh and it was my third night and um a waiter had called out and one of the assistant managers gail herman Mm -hmm. um she um asked me to work uh can you work a couple of tables and i said yeah sure but i had no idea what the you know the, the, still, me yeah. the menu was right well so, you probably didn't yeah so, later either yeah, so, <laughs> you're like i don't no, know no, no. So, so i was taking care of this one table and it was this classic old school new york jewish couple with um i think their like younger daughter you know but very classic you know so the daughter took them there like hey yeah, we'll go somewhere new exactly. and fun and, and they're like where they are we obviously didn't get it and they were they were asked 
drilling me on a bunch of questions that I was just obviously kind of winging it, right? Right, right. So anyway, you know, they paid the bill. Everything's fine. Good night. So um, they write a letter. Well, they went up to the assistant manager. And at the time I was what, maybe at this time now, I was probably almost 22, 23. And I was, I was pretty jacked up, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think, uh, I don't, I'm paraphrasing, but- By the, which you mean you were a physically big man. Yeah, yeah. something like that. The lady goes up to uh, the manager and she said, um, you know, the waiter was quite nice, but um, he has a better chance becoming a Chippendale than being in a restaurant industry. And I was like, okay. And she was, <laughs> uh, you know, I was like, all right. But, uh, you know, that's how it worked. That's not the, it's not the it worst. Was, it was uh, probably, uh, I didn't know how to given, take it, you know? but that was like my- my first real complaint, I guess. But, you did you know, have a shirt on at the time? I did have a shirt, but okay. I guess, you know, Double it was probably a tight jacket. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what were some of these different chefs like? I mean, you know, I remember Sulta Kuhn um, was, he could be, and not re- with me, but gosh, he would go crazy. I mean, some intense screaming in the back of the kitchen. Is that true? Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, and who else was there? Andrew Carmelini was also the chef at uh, Le yes. Cirque. I, I worked with him at Le Cirque. Um, so that but, was that whole crew because you had... Um, Carmelini, right, and you had uh, Jacques Zach, Tore- Zach Bell, and you Zach had Red, right. uh, God, who was that? Well, Jacques guy? Torres was also the pastry chef. Jacques there, Torres too. was the pastry chef. Right, That's yeah. right. I mean, Jacques was relatively like a super nice guy, actually, like super professional, always in a good mood. Um, but it, there were moments with Soto; it was pretty legendary when he would just go, you know, when he didn't get what he wanted, you know. Well, there was that story about like somebody sent something back that wasn't cooked enough and he just like put it under the sizzle pan and he was like, well, he were... sent it out like with no sauce or anything. He's like, is it cooked enough now for you, mister? <laughs> That's like that, how you, you know, that Exactly. It's yeah. so, yeah. I mean, there were many times like that, but you have to understand the poor guy. I mean, like the, I said, the stress. you know, Sirio Mancioni was all about giving what the customer wanted. So if it just was like some plain grilled fish with just like asparagus, like we had to do stuff like that. I mean, and it would just sometimes drive him nuts. You know, there were so many things that were not on the menu. So he would just go completely nuts, especially with that VIP station. You know, we did, a, we did a lot of table side service. Yeah. So Cyril would come behind sometimes and just kind of like little, you know, take little pieces, you know, while, you know, whether it was carving the duck or the chicken or anything or the cote de boeuf, you know, and if there were some things lying around, he would take it right there. Yeah. But he was serial. He was like the man. He, he was did, the man. Yeah. And like customers didn't care. It was almost like right. cool, like that he would do that. He but, was hooked up. But he, yeah, he was, yeah, he was quite the character for sure. That's so him. you went to Atelier after? Right after um, Atlas, I, um, the Ritz Carlton was opening up and, um, you know, I said, I want to now, like I was, you know, pretty much I was turning 24 at this time. So I was like, I, I really want to be working, you know, hands-on, whether on the floor now, like pretty much as, in a, as a sommelier. And I heard there was going to be a master sommelier who will be the wine director there. And that was William Schur. Yeah, that's right. Bill Schur, yeah. And so uh, I got the job there. And, uh, so, you know, still working as a waiter and all that. And you were I, there for a long time. I was there. I started in uh, March of 02, and I was there till about 05. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, when I worked, William was definitely intricate until me getting into, like, start with the Master Sommelier program. He kind of put you that way. He yeah, was like, that, for sure, definitely. Yeah, and I, I mean, for me, like— his approach, his style was soft. It was just genu- genuine. I mean, with the customers, it was great. Um, the way he was able to um, translate his knowledge, unpretentious. And I said, this is this is exactly 
He wasn't a shark. He, it was definitely not a shark for sure. Because um, back then there was, you know. Yes, dudes, yes, so, yes, yes, for you know, sure. Looking I, for the big sale. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he was. He was kind of. He was definitely um, the opposite of that. Actually, to the point where the general manager Renan, who great man, you know, he was a French guy. You know, the Frenchies like to sell. You know, yeah, I, I and do. Um, yes. sometimes it would drive him not in a good way, but it would drive him nuts in a little way. Come on, William, you got to sell, sell. Don't you know? But William was really. I mean, ta- he really was all about integrity. I mean, really was just the man. What's um, he up to these days? He went, he, after that, he left to Las Vegas, worked as the wine director at Oriol in Mandalay Bay. Oh, okay. And now he's doing that. was that. a pretty big deal for wine. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. And now he's somewhere in um, Napa working. I don't know the name of the restaurant right now, but he's happy. He's just happy to. You know, yeah. And great, great guy, honestly. Like, so what awesome. were you serving at that time? You're Central Park South again, not too far right. from Atlas, actually. Right. Um, you know, it was an interesting crowd. Um, the the restaurant was inside the hotel, so we were sort of um, kind of hidden almost, you yeah. know? So Kind of like a hidden gem, I thought. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it, w- it was really a great restaurant, and Gabrielle was, is— He was kind of hitting it at that time. And he was totally hitting it at that time, and he was one of my favorite chefs to ever work for. Is that true? And his wine knowledge and his palate— one of the best. I mean, really, he loved wine and his um, his tasty notes, um, his knowledge of the what was it? Because a lot of chefs they couldn't care less or they drink wine, but they don't. Unfortunately, you know, it's yeah, true. unfortunately, yeah. yeah. And um, but he was completely the opposite. I mean, every night always wanted to drink good wine and always took a liking. I mean, it was just I love this guy. It was really an amazing chef. If I ever opened up a restaurant, I could hire a chef. I'd love to hire him. Because of just uh, his Danny passion. Meyer maybe beat you to that. Yeah, yeah, Danny, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think? <laughs> yeah, pretty a pretty good gig he has too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you you were coming home one night, right? Yeah. So, um, I was working about a year now into to the job, and um, I had just gotten married July of uh, two thousand and three. And it was August. Uh, I'm sorry, October twenty seven, two thousand three, and it was just uh, it was a relatively mild Sunday evening at the restaurant. Um, a busboy had just gotten promoted as a front waiter. And he said, you know, Yannick, let's go out, you know. Um, and it was just a small little half-hour party at Route 57. Opened up some uh, Moet Chandon, you know, had a glass. Um, and that was pretty much it. And then uh, it started pouring rain. Uh, remember running back home. I mean, running to my car, which was parked at the Holiday Inn on 57th and um, between 9th and 10th. And I said, oh, you know, running home. And so I wanted to get back home early because Sunday nights was the night for me and my wife. We, she was a teacher, so we kind of had opposite schedules. So, you know, Sunday nights we watched some TV together and uh, went home and, you know, had my car accident and uh, left me uh, paralyzed from the waist down, you know. And, uh, you know, it, you know, it's just... Uh, Changed my life forever in many different ways, of course, you know. Um, so you you have told me before about some of the things that happened right. at the hospital. And- well, yeah, you know, um, of course, I mean, I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, but I definitely remember everything, you know. And I remember, you know, the car finally coming to a full stop. I remember pulling myself out of the car. I remember um, there was just kind of like little incline and basically dragging myself to the side of the road to try to get some kind of attention, you know? And it was such a, it was raining, it was completely foggy, and this was on the West Side Highway. And uh, finally, I remember hearing four girls scream and said, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir, are you okay, are you okay? And I 
And I turned around and I said, why not? You know, I'm kind of in a daze. And they said, don't move. You're not supposed to move. Don't. And obviously one of them must have done something and, you know, whether a nurse or I don't know, but obviously she kind of knew the protocol. And she said, are you okay? Or aren't you cold? And I said, well, what do you mean? You know, and she said, well, you know, your pants and, you know, you're naked. And I didn't feel anything, you know, and we're talking about October 27th, you know, in cold rain. And I said, she said, just don't move. You know, the, the, you know, the, the ambulance is going to come. We just called and, you know, she, she took out some kind of sweater that she must've had and put it on top of me. And, um, that's pretty much it. And then, you know, the ambulance came to grab, you know, they got me. And I remember talking to the EMS guy, I mean, inside him and I was just like, am I going to be okay? And he said, listen, man, you're conscious. You're okay. Don't worry about it. But I remember the whole time just feeling this weird, like, you know, how you put a magnet by the refrigerator, like that pulling effect. And I just felt that from pretty much my waist down. And I knew my body well enough. I had always worked on. I said, gosh, this is not good. Like I'm in a I'm real bad situation. And, uh, you know, you get to the hospital and then it's just like, everything becomes a blur after that. It's like, you know, CAT scans, MRIs, this, this, that, you're just like back and forth. You see, um, you see your mom for a quick second, she's crying. And then you go back in and then your wife comes in, she's crying. And then the, the mother-in-law comes in, she's crying. You know, it's just a very, it's very intense. It's almost, uh, almost becomes a dream in a lot of ways, you know? And did you find the staff, uh, helpful? <laughs> well, <laughs> what's funny enough is that, um, so my wife w was outside in the hallway and um, at this point I had trouble breathing, I guess, you know, I, cause I really hit my, um, my rib cage quite hard and I had some bruised ribs and all that. And so um, right next to me was my mom. So this doctor comes in, this is probably like six hours after the accident happens. And he walks in and he says, um, well, Yannick, there's a uh, good news and bad news. Uh, so uh, the good news is, uh, you know, you're a young guy, you know, you're strong, you're active, and um, there'll be a lot of things that you can do. The bad news is that you'll never run a marathon again. And right there, and I, you know, of course I couldn't really talk and I, I knew that's what he was going to say. That's where he was going. I was like, come on, please don't do it in front of my mom. And of course my mom is just like, she just breaks down and all that. And um, I kind of started to cry, not because of, me not walking again, but to have to see my mom like that. Cause I don't want to see my mom like that. And, um, so then that happened and, um, that everything went forward. You know, I had to get two surgeries that to put two rods, eight screws in my back. <laughs> yeah. How did him saying that kind of affect your mindset at the time? I think I, when he said that, I was like, well, I'm going to like, I'm going to do a marathon for sure. <laughs> Cause you have done like I, I've done, three of them. Yeah. I've done, uh, I've done four New York city marathons. I've done a couple of Boston marathons and I've done a Chicago this past October. So yeah. Congratulations. And I did, thanks man. Yeah, no. <laughs> and you know, a couple of other races, half marathons, all that. So yeah, I'm pretty, I keep myself pretty active, you know, but, and, uh, and obviously that changed so much. I mean, you know, it, with the restaurant life and it changed so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember sure. you telling me one of the first things you wondered was whether you're going to be able to get around the dining room anymore. When um, I was, yeah, um, the first, so at that time I was also taking um, um, classes at the American Sommelier Association and um, the class that, I, the exam that I was going to have that Tuesday um, was going to be on the Languedoc Crucium. So I remember telling my mom, like, go into my, you know, shelves and get my long, get my books, get my books. So I had started reading a little bit and, um, there was that, uh, Longa del Crucion book by Rosemary George. That's right. I read so that one. It's yeah. funny. Wines even South of France. Yeah, I read that book now and it reminds me of when I'm in the hospital. Sometimes it's just really strange, you know, how things can take you back. And, um, but I, yeah, I was envisioning, you know, 
what we could do at Atelier because it was pretty spaced out anyway. So it's like, oh, maybe we can move this table here. Maybe we... So I was really, I was like, I'm going to be the first sommelier in a wheelchair and I'm going to prove people wrong that this can be done and all that. So I definitely um, was very ambitious for sure at that time. But of course, I didn't know what was waiting for me outside. You know, I was definitely looking at the glass half full. What was the difference between being in the hospital and then not being in a hospital? Well, after a while, you're in the hospital. You know, I was there till about, um, I think January 9th, 2004 is when they when I was out into the real world. But you sort of become institutionalized in a lot of ways. You start to feel safe. Um, there's definitely that sense of comfort, you know. You have a routine down and you're like, you know, you go to physical therapy. You have your bed made. You have this. And then you're like, oh, my God, I'm finally going out to the real world. And you just don't know what's going to happen. You, you know, um, cause it's not control. Anyway. It's just not control. Exactly. You totally said it. And, um, you know, without getting too deep into anything, I don't want to make it too depressing, but you know, I think often even myself, I didn't realize what entailed with being, um, a paraplegic or, or paralysis was that not only do you lose the loss of your legs, but I, lo I lost everything else. Um, and that was very difficult to deal with. Um, and you have to get yourself in that frame of mind. That took a long time to actually accept. Um, so yeah, it was very tough. Was your wife supportive? My wife was, you know, we're not together anymore. We're divorced, but we got divorced in, um, 07, I believe, but we're still great friends. Um, uh, it was totally amicable. She was, when I say the word clutch, she was clutch. She did not blink an eye. She was unbelievable. I mean, I owe a lot of where I'm at right now because of her. Yeah, and her family, and, and they still keep in touch. I'm very, very lucky. And really, honestly, you know, just looking as someone who's just seen the level of achievement that you've you've done since then, you have your, an organization that you're very uh, involved with where you help other people who uh, are confined to wheelchairs yes. uh, called Moving Forward. Uh, it's it's uh, Willing Forward, yeah, Willing Forward. And you've run... Uh, you've you've competed in several marathons, which right. you've completed, and you have a long list of uh, being in uh, placing in different sommelier competitions throughout the world. Yep. Um, you know, I can only say uh, <sighs> that in a lot of ways they're an inspiration. Oh, well, thank I, you. I, not just to me, but I think to a lot of people. Thank you. In what you've managed to achieve, when really you were dealt a bad hand, you know. Um, so you did. Get back into the wine business, but right. uh, you know it ended up taking a turn into retail. Yes, and how did that come about? You know that was um, really by accident how it happened. Um, so about I'd say about a year into my injury, um, I guess the cushion they had given me, which is also important, you know, I had developed what they call a pressure um, sore from sitting. From sitting, <clears throat> and it's very important to get. Um, properly seated, I guess, you know, with the right cushion. And what happened, I developed a really bad infection. Was it a matter of you couldn't realize what was going on? Exactly, because I'm, I'm what they call, I'm, I'm, I'm a com complete injury from the T6 area. So that's just about where the belly button is. So, I mean, I really don't have any idea of what's happening. So I could be sitting on a pebble or a rock or, you know, I, I wouldn't know that, you know, what's happening. So that's exactly what happens. It's basically just like, you know, your hip bone is just kind of pr compressing down onto the meat and it just basically, it just, it gets a little gruesome. Yeah. And, um, I try to heal it. I had doctors to try to heal it naturally. And it was just, and then I would get infections. I was in and out of the hospital and, um, I was sick a couple of times, uh, and it was just 
a very, very difficult time. It was a difficult time for me, for my family. Um, and uh, basically, finally, I met this one doctor and he said, um, talk about, you know, person, the greatest doctor I've ever met, not because he was knowledgeable, just the way he was. And he said, I'll take care of you. We'll fix this up. So he, what they do is they do a flap surgery, um, close me up. But I was basically in the hospital for three weeks. But before I had gotten the surgery, um, a friend of mine, I don't know if you met him before, his name is Robin Lewis. He was uh, the GM at a Janoon restaurant. Um, he said, let me take you out for a drink at Crew restaurant where Robert Bohr was at. And we had a couple of glasses of wine there just before, you know, kind of like a send-off party, right? And um, I met this girl, uh, Rocky Gray, who is a sommelier at um, Le Bernadette. Rocky Kim. Kuka Rocky Kim, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, we started talking and she was like, yeah, you know, I have a friend that's opening up a wine store and da, da, da. And, we just, and I said, who's your friend? She said, Jean-Luc Ledoux. And I said, oh, Jean-Luc, you know, yeah, great guy. He's from the same village as my dad, this and that. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, why don't you give me your number and I'll give it to him. I just thought, keep in touch, you know? Right. So the day that I got to the hospital to get my surgery, he calls me up. And I didn't pick up, but I heard his voice. And I'm like, oh, my God, my luck, you know. Jean-Luc Ledoux wants to like talk to me about a job position. Because he was huge at the time. He Yeah, he definitely. I mean, like, I mean. Grand Award at Danielle and all he that was writing stuff, yeah. Was yeah, and he was, book. And, and, you know, he was one of the, you know, the, the first sommeliers in New York <laughs> in a lot of ways. You know, Tim Kopech, no Roger DeGoran, you know, that whole crew, Daniel Jonas. These guys, very significant to where we're at now, you know. And uh, so I came out of the hospital and I waited a couple of weeks. I felt like physically strong and I um, stopped by the store and I talked to him and then it just kind of happened right then and there, you know. Because he had decided he wanted to open up a retail store. He had he decided, he was at Danielle for about 10 years and uh, he had opened up this uh, really cool, I mean, still cool shop at uh, down in the West Village, uh, Ledoux's, um, all, right in the heart of the West Village. And I remember being nervous when I was first going to, I was like, is it going to be wheelchair accessible? The, and I went in there and I was like, oh my gosh, like there has to be a God because this place is so unbelievably wheelchair accessible friendly for me. It's like the perfect place. The aisles were pretty wide. Everything's like perfect. Like there's no dead spot. And I'm like, even the bathroom's wheelchair accessible. I'm like, what are the chances? You know, like the desks are perfect. I mean, it was just really such a, I was like, this is where I need to try to be at. So, uh, you know, that's how it kind of happened. And then- um, And he was supportive to you and you guys kind of it off. Listen, you know- <clears throat> I, I think, you know, my dad's the number one guy in my life. And then I would say Cereal got my start in the restaurant business. And then William Schur got me in the, the master sommelier. But Jean-Luc, you know, gave me that opportunity because I went on job interviews at some places and some people didn't even know how to react and know how to deal with it. This was such an, I mean, he, he didn't see me in a wheelchair. He saw me as an asset to him. And, um, for, he has forever changed my life. And I'm so grateful for that, you know, because there was a point where I was like, what am I going to do? There's no hope for me in this wine industry. I'm not going to ever get a job. And I, I was sort of stuck on working the floor again. I was like, no, I'm going to prove people. It was almost stubborn. And I was actually hurting myself. Um, I went to one interview for a sommelier position and I'll never forget the guy walks in and he's just like, laughing but it was like a nervous nervous laugh and i'm like he's like what happened to you and i said what do you mean what happened to me he was like did you have like a skiing accident or something he was like and i was like excuse me and he's like do you plan on working here on a wheelchair is that how it's gonna work or and i said and i basically and he kept laughing and i not like at me but it was just a obvious nervous laugh and i just said i think i'll come back i mean i, I think i'll go and i just kind of laughed and it was so you know things like that you know but um i was <laughs> so obviously you know a lot of people and and who are in wheelchairs yeah. in the community 
um, what do they are they able to continue in their goals and their fields often, or is it often a, a story of heartbreak? Or? Um, a lot of them. A lot of the stories are heartbreak. Um, some a lot. I think the the most important thing in life, and especially when you go through something like this, is to have a strong network of friends and family. And some people, you know, friends disappear. Some people don't really have a strong network of, uh, you know, a, a strong family, and they're just kind of left on their own. Um, then they don't have accessible housing, so they're stuck in nursing homes, and then they totally become codependent, and it's a problem, you know. Um, and then fear, fear of rejection. Um, you really have to have tough skin because you're gonna you're gonna go through stuff like that. You're gonna have to deal with people um, are gonna sit there and laugh at you. People who are perfectly comfortable. Yes, uh, you're gonna have to deal with elevators breaking down, places not being accessible. You know, just a lot of different things. So I think with wheeling forward. Um, that I've started with my friend, uh, my partner, Alex Elagudin, who was actually my roommate in the hospital when we, we were both injured at the same time. And we, we started this, so hey, how can we help people get back into everyday life? Like, we're not here to find the cure. We'll let the other guys do that. And if there's a cure, that's great. You know, don't get me wrong. I'd love to take a pill and have me walk again, you know, no doubt about it. But what can we do now? And so trying to get people the right equipment the right supplies to get back to everyday life is what we're trying to do. But it is, it's, it's tough, you know, it definitely is, you know, um, because it is a very expensive lifestyle. Well, we talked a little bit about the, how your relationship to being in the restaurant industry changed, but did your relationship to wine change at all? I think my relationship with wine actually, I think, grew in a lot of ways. Um, Seems like it has. Yeah. Um, you know, I think wine for me, it gives me so much wonderful memories. It gives me nostalgia. It's um, it's sort of a connection to to my family background. Um, I love the stories behind it. So, I think wine has it grows all the time. I never get tired of it. You know, um, I love buying wine books. I love reading about different. You know, I just got the new Jancis Robinson um book, and it's just amazing. I got the new Sherry book by Peter Lehm, and I'm trying to. You know, it, it, it's constantly. It never ends. You're always learning, and that's what I love about it. And I love being humbled. It's great. If you were going to tell someone uh, who's either in the wine industry or not in, a, in the wine industry, mm. how, to, how to really just uh, stick to your guns and get through adversity, mm. what, what would you say to those people? Well, I think the most important thing is to make yourself happy. But I also think about, I don't want to disappoint my mom and my dad. And I followed the values of my mom and dad, and they've always been hardworking, honest people. And I know that if I gave up on myself, it would destroy them. And I think I owe it to them for everything that they've done for me to just keep going. And I think, honestly, despite that we're going through tough times, I think in New York, in this country, there's plenty of opportunity. If you're honest with yourself and you give it your all, I think uh, your your rate of success will, will be there for sure, no doubt about it. I mean, there's opportunity for everybody. Yannick Benjamin of Ledoux's Wine in the West Village. Thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com. 
which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.